Michael Lindhart who joins us today to, to bring the sermon for us on this homecoming Sunday. I, I just want to tell you two things about Mike. Mike has left a mark here. Um, some of you know that because you speak of that to me. And then Mike has often also left a visible, a visible mark here. Uh, Mike, Mike was part of the vision and visioning team and the leadership that made it possible for us to have a family life center. And Mike shares the story of the Sunday when you all brought your pledges and laid them at the altar very fondly as a highlight of his own ministry. And I think it's good for you to know that, that he, he feels that, that joining in that work with you was a highlight of his own ministry. And Michael, we're glad to have you with us today. It is good to be back. It's good to be back. And that was a, a moment, because I, when I was talking to David about it, I, I shared that when we had that service, I remember how spiritual it was and how everyone was at a certain place in their hearts and their spirits. It was just beautiful, the way people, you could just feel the Holy Spirit in the room. And then when we went to the meal right afterwards, we had more people there than we've ever had for a meal, and we were all gathered around the table and sharing and excited and I remember knowing, we already knew that God was leading me somewhere else. And I told my wife, this is the best day to, that you're going to be going. Everything is so perfect with all the Spirit of God moving so much. I do love it here. I, I, I have some great memories of being here with, all of, with many of you. Some of you are new, but being here with many of you. And I, I've always found this to be just a deep spiritual place. Um, I... The title of my sermon is uh, Christian Sightings. Well, I sighted a lot of Christians here when I was here. People who really gave their heart to Jesus and really served him in any way they could. Uh, and, and I learned a lot. I grew a lot in being with you all. I, um, I know that um, I observed how humble you were as servants of God. And United Methodists, historically, we've always been those who tried to do the work of God without necessarily blowing our own horn or lifting ourselves up. And I do remember at times seeing that in the people here. I remember uh, once uh, a, um, someone from a big church in the community uh, came to me. They were having a big fundraiser for uh, someone. I don't remember who the name was, person was, but they had cancer, I believe. And they were having a fundraiser to help pay bills because it was, bills were growing and growing. And I, so they were going to have it at this particular little restaurant. Or, and I, so I... They invited me to come and, and to be there. And, of course, everyone who came and ate barbecue, plate, all the money went to this cause. And so a lot of the members of that big church came, and they were there eating their barbecue and getting their meal and then just paying for the meal. And that money went straight to the, the people in need. And I remember walking in and seeing all those people. And then I sit down and ate, too. And then I noticed I didn't see a whole lot of Adna people there. You know, I saw some, but not a lot. And I thought, wonder why we're not supporting this ministry when th th this other church was supporting it and they've been advertising. Why wouldn't we be supporting this cause? And then I walked into the kitchen and all the workers, all the people fixing the meals, everyone who was doing anything were members of this church. So even though they didn't get in the paper that it was our church doing all this work, this other church's name was in there and all their people were eating their meals, and get, and there's nothing wrong with that. They were helping the cause by eating the meal and providing money. But that wouldn't have been possible if it wasn't for the people of our church in the kitchen doing all the work, 
fixing the plates that were going to be sent out for those who ordered out, making sure that everything was done properly so that the meals could be ready, so the charity and this care could be done. So I just wanted to share, that's one of the great things, make memories I have of this church, how we've stepped forward whenever someone's in need. They don't have to be a member of our church, just someone in our community in need. And we go forward and offer and say, what can we do? And then we do it. They used to say about United Methodists that when there's a disaster, we're the first to arrive and the last, last to leave. And so often when all the cameras are gone and all the, all the hoopla about the situation is over and there's still houses that need care for, we stay until the work is done. And then we move out. So it's a wonderful thing to say. I also wanted to share when Sarah was talking about my first appointment, um, and she said that we went to Wallace and how she was proud that I was a pastor. And, and I really believe that God sends, uh, send, sent us everywhere God wanted us to be. I really believe God was in it. I used to say at the cabinet, who is the bishop and the district superintendents who would meet and decide where people go, I would say sometimes, even to DSs, I say God sends us where he wants us to be. Sometimes the cabinet stumbles in the right direction, but they get there where God wants you to be. So when she was talking about coming to Wallace, and that was where God wanted us to be, my first appointment as a pastor, I'd been a police officer, a fireman, a social worker in the past, but now as a pastor, it was a wonderful experience. But when we were leaving there, and I always felt wherever we went, God wanted us to be. But when we were leaving Wallace, and we were going to Pinewood, my district superintendent called me in, and he wanted to try to show me why he felt this is where God wanted me to be, and he wanted me to be on board with it and feel good about it. So he called me in, and he sat down, and he talked about it. And he actually thought it was going to be one church. Turned out it was three churches, and I already had three churches. I was going from three churches to three churches. He felt really bad that he'd messed up, and I kept saying, well, God's got a plan. God always got a plan. So when he pulled out the picture of the churches, I looked at it, didn't pay much attention. It's okay, it's where God wants you to be. When he pulled out the picture of the parsonage, I looked down and I said, I'm sold. And the reason I was sold was in Wallace, we had one bathroom. We had two <laughs> at this other parsonage. And I had three girls and me. <laughs> so, so I said, you're sold. He didn't have to tell me about the churches. You sold it. We're going to Pinewood next. But everywhere we've gone, God has been a part of that. And being here, and I, and like I said, I learned a lot being here, including uh, Clyde, actually, um, where's Clyde? He left. He left. <laughs> Clyde taught me somewhat to appreciate bluegrass music while I was here. And that took a lot of work, but he did that. And I did appreciate it. And I've shared this before here, I believe, on other occasions. But I, I did, one day he pulled me out to his car and told me to listen to this music. And he played the bluegrass music on the radio. And I told him if he would pop that hood, I'd get that cat out for him. <laughs> but, but anyway, uh, ever since then, he actually took me around to see it perform, to hear it. And finally, he got me on board. So it, I do enjoy bluegrass music, music now. The scripture that I'm going to be sharing, oh, there's one other thing I need to say. 
you probably don't remember this about me. And usually when I say this out loud, someone jumps up pretty quickly. Did you know that? And I'm going to give you a chance to see if anybody jumps up quickly. I don't wear a watch. <laughs> Has anyone got a watch? They want to give me, then I'll have a watch. You got a watch, like a boy? You borrow your watch. And you tell time. <laughs> I appreciate it. Yeah, I was in a church once where immediately somebody was at the pulpit with a watch in their hand when I said, I don't wear a watch. Uh, I was in a church once. We were. It was in our first appointment, I believe. They had, they had clocks on the wall back there. And I remember uh, one Sunday I came in and the power was off. And the clock was stopped. And I told them, this is my Sunday. Because <laughs> okay. that clock's not moving anymore. But anyway, I've got, I got a little watch, so I appreciate it. Um, the scripture is from Matthew chapter 5, verses 38 through 48. And these are the words of Christ. You have heard that it hath been said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say unto you, that ye resist not evil, but whosoever shall smite thee on thy right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone will sue thee or attack thee and take away thy coat, let him have thy cloak also. And in some translations it says, if they come and take your shirt, let them have your coat as well. And whosoever shall compel you to walk a mile or to carry his pack for a mile, go with him two miles. Give to him that asketh of thee, and from one that would borrow from thee, do not turn them away. You have heard that it have been said, Thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy. But I say unto you, Love your enemies. Bless them that curse you. Do good to them that hate you, and pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. That ye may be children of your Father which is in heaven. For he maketh his Son to rise on the evil and on the good, and sendeth rain on the just and on the unjust. For if ye love them which love you, what reward have you? Do not even the publicans or the tax collectors do the same? And if ye salute your brethren only, what do you more than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? Be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. And this is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. This is what Jesus is telling us about being Christian. I think we may have lost this somewhere. What being a Christian is. What's a Christian look like? What does a Christian look like? And this is telling us it's not so much just by what we do, because people can do good things for bad motives. They can do good things because they're expecting something in return. They can try to impress people by doing good things for them because they feel like they've got the, the wherewithals to do good for them. So it, you don't know how sincere it is, but one way to spot a Christian is that it's not so much what they do, but what, how they respond when others do something to them. How they respond to the way they're treated when they're not treated well. 
What do you do in response? So that's trying to spot a Christian. I have said before to some people that sometimes I'm afraid I have to say that spotting a Christian might be like spotting Bigfoot. A lot of people say they've seen one, but there's no real scientific evidence they exist. A lot of people say they've seen one, but there just doesn't seem to be any direct scientific evidence they even exist at all. I hate for the world to think that way about Christians. But we can get our binoculars out and we can look and we can watch and we can see if we see a Christian or we don't see a Christian by how they respond to those who confront them. If you see a man walking down the street and, and somebody walks up to him and just slaps him upside the face. And you get your binoculars out and say, let me watch. Oh, this might be one. I might have found one. And then that person cold cocks him back with his fist. False alarm. <laughs> that wasn't one. Or you may see someone turn the other cheek and you're going, hey, I found one, everyone. I have sighted a Christian. Now, these are my words. These are Jesus' words. This is what he said about his children, what he wants, what he expects from those who have given him their heart, who have surrendered to him. You turn the other cheek. This verse by itself could be the only verse you have. When someone does that, turn the other cheek. He went on to say that if anyone takes something from you, they come and they, even if someone comes and they're going to rob you and they take your shirt. They say, give me that shirt. I like that shirt. And they're armed and they're threatening you and you take your shirt off and you give it to them. And it looks warm to them. They need a warm shirt. It's cold. It's wintertime at the time. And as they're getting your shirt and they're starting to walk away, Jesus says, call after them and say, wait a minute. I know you're cold. Wouldn't you like to have this coat too? That's strange response. Strangest response in the world. I once heard of a preacher who went into a bar, a banker bar, biker bar, and it was a rough bar where there was fights all the time and heavy drinking and drunkenness and all kinds of stuff. But he went in there because he wanted to preach to the bikers. He wanted to share Jesus with the bikers. He had had a rough life in the past, and now he had found Jesus, and he had become a preacher, and he wanted to preach to the bikers. He's a big man, a big man. And he walks in there and he walks up to one of the big bikers. He says, I'd like to tell you about Jesus. And that biker takes his fist, waves way back and just slams it into the jaw of that preacher. And the preacher goes flying across the room and ends up on the floor. Everyone in the bar stops doing what they're doing and they're watching. And they see what this has happened. And the preacher opens his eyes and he looks up. He struggles to get himself back to his feet and he smiles. And he says to that biker who hit him, You know what? There was a time when you would have been the one on the floor. And you wouldn't have got up. <laughs> there was a time. But that was before I met Jesus. And according to the story, at that point, everybody began to listen as he told the story. Why? Because this was weird. This guy was strange. Paul called Christians, in the King James Version, peculiar people. The strangest people you ever seen. In the Old Testament, there's a story told about Isaac. 
going into the land of the Philistines. And as Isaac, and and the Bible tells us, and Paul said that that rock that went with the people of Israel was Christ himself. Jesus said, Abraham looked forward to my day and saw it. Christ was present even in the Old Testament in spirit. And he touched the hearts of people. He touched Isaac's heart. And Isaac was traveling through this country. and, And as he came to this well, and the well had been... His father's well years before, but the Philistines had filled it up with dirt. So Isaac had his men, his workers, unstop that well. They dug and they dug and they dug until they got it. And they're doing it all by hand. They don't have any of the equipment we have today. And after they dug it and got all the, all the dirt out and got the well working again, some people in the area, herders, came and they said, wait a minute, that's our well. That's our well. Now, Isaac had a big army, a lot of people. He could have responded any way he wanted to respond. But you know what he did? He decided, let's move. Let's just go dig another well. Strange response. Think about our own faith. Do we need to repent and say to God, we want to be Christians, Lord, because we haven't been, obviously, because I certainly wouldn't have went and dug another well. I would have said, all right, guys, get your weapons, and we're going to tell them what we do to people who mess with our stuff. But he went and dug another well. Now, I've always wondered about the workers and the care and all the people, his people who did all this digging, because I doubt very seriously that Isaac even shoveled one scoop of dirt. <laughs> his workers did that. And they might have said, you know, Isaac, that's easier for you to say, but we're the ones that did all the work. But Isaac said, let's go. And they left. And they dug another well. After they got that well dug completely, got the water going, people showed up and said, hey, that's our well. Second time. What does Isaac do? He says, all right, people, let's go. We're just going to go and dig another well. They went and dug a third well. And finally, nobody said, it's our well. And Isaac said, all right, finally, God's given us a place to rest. And the king of the Philistines, who was watching all this, because he was scared of Isaac. Isaac had a strong army, a lot of men. In fact, before all this happened, he had told Isaac to get away from my area. Leave me. You're too powerful. He had had dreams where Isaac and his soldiers would come in and take over his kingdom. He was scared. He said, you've got to leave us. So he did. But he's watching Isaac to see what he would do when these people come in. I'm even inclined to think he might have sent them just to see how he handled them. And finally, the king comes to him and says, look, man, you're the strange, this is my paraphrase, but you, you're the strangest people I've ever seen in my whole life. You don't act like people are supposed to act when they're threatened or in trouble. So how about this? We haven't hurt you. You haven't hurt us. Let's make a deal. We won't hurt each other. We'll be friends. And Isaac signed a peace treaty. No action, no violence. Just digging another well. Made the the people on the other side decide that, well, I don't have to worry about him attacking me in the night. Because when he was confronted, even confronted with people, he chose not to fight. 
Now, digging a well may not be, there are things worth fighting for, but whether a well is something worth fighting for was the question. And there were times when the people of God did fight, but not over a well, not over something like that. And he found a way to bring peace. When our scripture, we read just a little while ago, also, there is the reference to carrying the pack. The Roman soldiers had a right, and these are the people who have conquered your land. They've conquered your land. They are the enemy. And and there was Roman law that they could walk right up to anyone on the side of the road. If they were marching, carrying their pack, they could walk up to anyone and say, you're going to carry my pack for one mile. That's the law requires me to require that of you, and I'm going to require it right now because I'm tired. And you can hand that pack to that person and they will have to carry it for one mile. Now, I don't know what you would do. Maybe you're from that area. You know exactly how far a mile is. And are you going to carry that pack? And when you get to that exact spot, you're going to throw it down and say, all right, fine, I did it. One mile. I don't have to go another step. You could do that. Or you could just keep carrying until he decides you've been a mile. And he'll say, all right, you've been a mile. You did what I told you to do, what the law required. Give me back my pack and you can go home. Jesus said... When he does that, when he says, all right, just give me my pack. You've done what was required by the law. You did what you had no choice to do because the law says you have to do it. You could be locked up if you didn't, and you don't want to get locked up. And I know the only reason you carried that pack for a mile is because you didn't want to go to jail. So give it back to me, and you can go home. You won't go to jail. Jesus says, say to him when he says that, man, once again, my paraphrase, man, you look so tired. Why don't you just let me carry it a second mile? Let me just help you out a little longer. You see, Christians' concern is not about hurting our enemies or destroying, destroying those who disagree with us or hate us. We want to reach those who are our enemies. And if a man says to someone, and it's not required, I want to carry it for you just because you need someone to carry your pack, you're tired, you're hot, then that will be a witness to that person. What is it about you? Why do you care about me? Why would you care about me? At the end of that scripture, Jesus was told, Jesus says, be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. And he means perfect in love. Some other translations simply say, be as loving toward all people as God is toward all people. Love. Show the compassion of Christ. You're a Christian. If you show that compassion to others. John Wesley, our founder, and I'll close with this story. But John Wesley, our founder, said that we're all going on to perfection in love in this life. So this isn't something we just get in heaven. It's something we get here. God will give us the power to be a Christian. When we become a Christian, we become a little Christ. That's what Christian refers to. We are a little Christ. People will look at us and see him. So often in church, I will say to people, let's pray that when we leave here, people will see more of Christ and less of us. Every time we come to church and leave, maybe that day we'll even get better and they'll see more and more of Christ and less of us. Less of us. 
Well, John Wesley said, we're going on perfection in love in this life. And I was mentoring a young man who had just come, wanted to come into the ministry. He didn't know anything about what the Book of Discipline said or what the, the questions that were going to be asked when you became a minister. Because one of those questions was and is, continues to be, do you believe you're going on to perfection in love in this life? And all the ordinance, all those about to be ordained say, with God's help, we do. And then the second question is, are you going on to, are you striving after it? Perfection in love in this life. So I, he didn't know about this question. So I asked him before, I, before he even got into the process. I said, do you believe you're going on to perfection in love in this life? And he said, oh, no, 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 no. Maybe when I get to heaven, but not in this life. And I told him, what are you doing here? Because you want to be a Methodist minister and you're supposed to stand before the bishop at some point. And at that point, he's going to ask that question. And everyone's expected to say, with God's help, I do. So he was kind of caught off. He didn't know that question was coming. And he kind of, kind of got quiet. And I said, and then the second question is going to be asked, are you striving for it? And he said, oh, I can answer that. Yes, I am striving for it. And I said, let me get this straight. You're striving for something that you don't believe it's possible you'll ever get. <laughs> I don't think you're striving too hard if you don't believe it's going to happen at all. It, it will happen. So all this scripture, all these things are telling us Jesus is saying, this is what we are. And when we look and we watch and we see people and what they do, how they respond, how they care. Or someone says something mean to you, it's just mean to you. And then they get sick and you show up at their hospital bed to pray for them. And I've seen that happen with many people many times. And I've always seen that shocked look on the patient in the bed who says, After all I've done to you, why are you here? Why are you here? Well, let me tell you something. When I think of all Jesus did for me that I know I didn't deserve. And Paul said, we're all sinners falling short of the glory of God. No one's righteous, no, not one's. We're all hell bound, and then Jesus decides to save us. It's his gift, not our work that gets us there. So when I sinned against God and against others, God shows up to love me anyway. And I love you, just like God loves me, unconditionally. Unconditionally means that we have the love of Christ in us. Whenever you love someone unconditionally, you can pat yourself on the back a little bit and say, thank you, God, because all you've done, all that's happened here, is you have reminded me I belong to you. Because without you, it's not possible for me to love like that. Love unconditionally. Which means that you don't have to love me back. It also means there's not a thing you can do to make me stop loving you. I've had people that I've had to email with who have given me a fit. Uh, family members who were having fits with other family members. And I tried to get in the middle of it. And then they turn on me. And they're just fired up. And every time they would write something mean, I'd write back, you can't make me stop loving you. <laughs> no matter what you say, you can't make me stop loving you. And at some point, I wear them down. And they finally may say, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. That's what we have to be if we're Christians. 
So citing Christians, may God cite Christians in us. Now we're ready for our closing hymn. Okay, our closing hymn is number 529, How 